And you are listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast out of Wesley Seminary at Iowa. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Assistant Professor of Pastoral Care. Every time I come face to face with an opponent, I reach a crossroads. Bitterness and anger eventually will overcome my banner, or I can simply preach on, teach on, lead on, serve on. The words come from Tara Beth Leach's book, Emboldened. Tara Beth is the senior pastor of First Church of the Nazarene in Pasadena, California, and she is the author of the book, Emboldened, a vision for empowering women in ministry. Now, no doubt any person who has been in any kind of official or unofficial leadership capacity listening in today has uh, been faced with those opponents that have uh, not seen eye to eye with them or maybe have even been sinister in some of their attacks. And you have learned as well to preach on, teach on, lead on, and serve on. And Tara Beth, thank you so much for sharing part of your story uh, in this book and how you have overcome some of the challenges of ministry and leadership. And we are delighted to have you with us today. Thanks so much. I am really delighted and honored to be here, Aaron. Now, I wonder if you could simply start out by telling our listeners a little bit about your story. Uh, how did you get to be uh, into ministry and at the First Church of the Nazarene, or PASNAS, uh, as it's called, in Pasadena, California? Yeah, I um, really encountered Jesus for the first time when I was 16 years old, 15 or 16. Um, I just had a really um, significant stirring in my soul and my heart and mind um, to learn about God. And so a youth pastor encouraged me to begin reading my Bible. And uh, as soon as I started reading, I just couldn't get enough. And I would read um, some nights anywhere from 15 minutes to three hours, just depending on the night. Um, and so I began at the beginning of the Bible and worked my way into the Gospels. And by the time I arrived to the Gospel of Luke, I was captivated by the person of Jesus. I was so moved by uh, his compassion towards those who were grieving, uh, towards the marginalized, the forgotten about in society, the invisible, and even the women. And so by the time I arrived to the story of the cross and the Gospel of Luke, I I was devastated. Um, it was like watching a really terrible new movie where you know exactly what the ending's going to be, but you're still yelling at the screen, no, 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 and you're hoping for a different ending. Um, and I had been hoping for a different ending because I fell in love with Jesus, and I couldn't understand why um, he would have to go to the cross. Um, I knew that, that that's what he did, but it was so difficult for me to wrap my brain. I mean, no one had taught me, like, you know, six different atonement theories or... Um, and so I was in love with Jesus, but I was having difficulty wrap my brain around the cross. Uh, but when I when I read it uh, that night in the Gospel of Luke, the cross, and then into the resurrection, um, it was as though the stars just completely aligned, and I had a grand aha, and everything made sense. Um, still, so much a mystery, but I, I could at least see the tip of the iceberg of what was happening there. And I just collapsed on my knees um, next to my bed, weeping over my Bible. And I put my hands in the air. And the only thing I could say was, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Yeah. So probably the next hour or hour and a half. Um, and that, that began this incredible new journey um, of following Jesus as a teenager. And I was on fire. Um, so on fire after that. Um, it wasn't long after that I went on a missions trip. And there in the 
the middle of the mission strip, we're doing a Bible study and the youth pastor was doing a study on becoming fishers of men. And he paused and said, I think that God is calling someone here to become fishers of men. If that's you stand up. And um, it just was, you know, felt like it was an hour of arguing back and forth with the Lord, but probably, probably only only minutes of just feeling like if I didn't stand up I was I was going to just like in a pressure cooker like, like I was going to explode um and it's just a holy whisper it's you Terabath and so so I stood up and they laid hands on me and they prayed for me they commissioned me um and that began my journey of discovering what it means to be a woman called into ministry um my imagination was puny but that's that's what it is for all of us when we're first called into ministry we just don't we don't know what our gifts are. We just are taking the next faithful obedient step after the next. Um, I knew that I, I had a passion to preach. I was obsessed with Billy Graham and his crusades. And so um, I can remember one time driving down the road with some girlfriends. We were listening to Nicole Mullen, My Redeemer Lives. And I pulled over my car and I got out and I ran to the cornfields. And I, I started, I grabbed my Bible and I started to preach to the cornfields. And I imagined that it was just a sea of people, um, a sea of people hearing the life-changing message of Jesus and knees bowing and tongues confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, I had, I had met Jesus in a way that just completely rocked my world. And I wanted the entire world to know what I knew. Um, and so it was, that was the beginnings of me just taking the next faithful step after the next, because I, I just long to see others fall in love with Jesus and experience the liberating power of Jesus that gives a place uh, for people who have no place to belong, a place to belong, that gives people who are broken um, a place of healing, uh, those who are hurting a, a place of comfort. Um, and I just, that ever since then, that has been my mission. It's been a mission of ups and downs. It's been a mission of confusion. It's been a mission where I've been in the desert. Um, it's been a mission where I've been on the mountaintops. Um, and right now where I am is a senior pastor at a historic landmark church in our tribe. Um, I, I'm just in awe that I get a seat at the table um, as a young woman. I am in awe that every single week I get to open the scriptures and proclaim that life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And I am in awe that um, that I get to do this. Uh, I love the local church. Uh, the local church is the hope of the world. As as we are we are called to participate in this incredible mission, and um, and so I'm I'm a big local church person. So I love that's that's my journey in a nutshell. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I love the phrase. And I'm a preacher. Yeah, well, I'm a preacher, so it's hard for me not to preach. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. And if I, if I interrupt yeah. you, it's only because I interrupt preachers. Okay, we'll, and we'll call it square. Very good. Very good. <laughs> uh, I love the phrase that you used. I had uh, puny imaginations. And yet that, that drive, that fire, uh, willing to stop a car with peers, get out and preach to cornfields, right? This, uh, this combination of, of heroic desire and puny imagination that kind of collide together in this initial call to ministry. And at some point, the, the puniness of all our imaginations has to be confronted with the reality of being called. And, and what I mean by that is we can hardly imagine that it's us who have been called, right? Of, of all the people that could be called, why, why would God pick me, set me aside for, for this leading service 
of his people so that they can flourish and grow and and do great things in in the name of Jesus as participants in his in his church. Uh, you share in the in the book uh, the story about being invited to a swim camp. Uh, it was the gold medal swim camp near Albuquerque, New Mexico. You say you were excited accepted into the swim camp because of your brother, who was a swimmer in Olympic training uh, swim team. You say swim practice after swim practice, set after step. I was always last. I was the slowest. To say that I felt like an imposter at that swim camp would be a total understatement. Uh, you go on to describe one of these team building activities where you're uh, climbing this mountain and you say that you finally got to this point where you collapsed on the rock, nothing left to give. You're ready to throw in the towel and call it quits. Uh, but the, the, the swim camp director, Tom uh, Jager, uh, reaches out and he says, come on, Tara Beth, we will do this together. I believe in you. And then out of, out of this kind of reflection on, on the feeling like an imposter, you bring it back into this call to ministry as you've uh, written to, to women, but I don't think just women in, in this book, but you write it like this. You say, dear sister, yeah. maybe you feel like I did on that mountain that day. Maybe you feel like you've joined a swim camp that you never should have been at in the first place. Maybe you feel like you don't belong, like you're an imposter. Hear these words. Jesus believes in you, Jesus is with you, and Jesus will equip you. And may we, his daughters, begin to believe that he believes in us. I, I got the impression that that was so much of the heartbeat that went into writing this book. That's right. Yep, it is. It is. Uh, and and that, is, that is why I wrote this book. I, I go back to that gold medal swim camp story a lot because in many ways it's a great um, image, uh, parable, or whatever we might call it, of, of many um, women's journey um, in ministry. Um, we have experienced, uh, many women, um, those moments where we are just, we are trying our best to take that next faithful step. Um, but we, we experience barriers. We experience pain. We experience closed doors. Um, we experience while preaching someone walking out where we're, why, while we're preaching because of our gender or someone coming up and asking us to defend our call or t someone telling us that we can't um, be a pastor because of our gender. Or, you know, most recently for me, someone writing a letter to um, the the generals of our entire denomination and telling them why I shouldn't be a pastor because of my gender or a couple hundred people leaving a church because of my gender. And so and so taking that next faithful step sounds beautiful and it sounds easy, but it's really not. Um, many of us in ministry find ourselves on the side of that mountain on a rock. We've thrown in the towel and we say, I can't do this anymore. Something's got to give. How long? Oh Lord. Um, and it's there that we learned the, the journey of the wilderness. We learned that journey of discovering the incredible dependence on God. And that's when Jesus you know, we discover that in the humanity of Jesus, who is truly human, um, understands that wilderness experience, understands that temptation to throw in the towel, understands the desert. And that's why he can say, I'm with you. I get this. I know this. I know this wilderness ex experience. And you're not alone. Furthermore, you're not an imposter. You are called and you are equipped. And, and not only uh, does Jesus declare those words, uh, but we need brothers to declare those words to their sisters. Um, women, women are on the side of the mountain. They've thrown in the towels. And uh, we, we need our brothers to come alongside of us and say, no, 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 you are not an imposter. 
You belong at this table. You belong behind the pulpit. You belong teaching, preaching, and leading. I believe in you. We need you. I love the uh, one of the things that really stands out in the book that I think is is empowering both for men and for women is your unapologetic embrace of being a woman and having feminine qualities. And by that, I mean, we have some uh, men who their natural leadership style is not autocratic. Uh, it, it, it might right. be more democratic. It, it might be more in a way that, that can lean into feminine traits. And it's nothing to do with them being feminized. It's just, it's just part of who they are. It's part of their own strengths. Yep. And, and you talk about this. Uh, you write, uh, your gender identity, no doubt, is biological. It's shaped by culture. It's part of God's paintbrush and creation. And there are times when you think uh, and lead differently from anything you have observed in male counterparts. Uh, I love how you write. You say, yep. Often when I'm sitting with one of our staff pastors going through a difficult time, something within me lights up that I might look a little maternal, right? And you, and you encourage other leaders to lean into those strengths, that, that leadership yeah. isn't, isn't strictly, um, doesn't strictly have to be about masculinity. It can be about this full complement right. of, of masculinity and femininity in the image of God, who is the, who perfectly displays this full complement as the, the originator, right? The, the designer of, of male and female and masculine and feminine. I think it's so important for our listeners that become a leader is not to become something different necessarily. I mean, there is transformation, but that transformation is to being more authentic, more of who God has made them to be and not to be ashamed of that, not to be apologetic about that. That's right. They have to be somebody different. That's right. Yes, that's right. I think it's so important that we embrace exactly who we are. That is the ways that we have been shaped and formed. Um, and of course, like there's going to be some brokenness and wounds in there, uh, but that's where we believe and embrace the resurrecting power of Jesus that um, that we can be um, moving into that truly human life, uh, sons and daughters of the resurrection. But when it comes to gender identity, um, and I know this is kind of a can of worms conversation, but I think a lot of the ways that we talk about it are cultural constructs. Um, of course, there, there's biological, of course, you know, um, it has to do with, you know, how, I mean, so many different things, but a lot of it is cultural con construct. And what I mean by that, I really love high heels, um, but that doesn't make me woman. Uh, that is a cultural construct. Uh, I, I get my nails done every other Friday. Um, I love makeup. I love to curl my hair, but all of these things, you know, I love pink. Um, all of these things are just constructs uh, that we have created today in 2018. These are constructs that were not around 2000 years ago. And nobody would have said that this makes you woman. Um, and then when it comes to the ways that we lead, um, I, I am a mom of two boys. And ever since I had children, it has rocked my world and it has formed me and it has formed my outlook on life. It has formed how I lead. It has formed how I pastor. Um, and so, for example, when I'm when it, that that example that I gave about staff pastors, if they're going through a rough day, um, I see things through the lens of being a mom oftentimes. And so I do want to say, well, let's go to my house and I'll make you some cookies. I've never done that. But uh, <laughs> but I tend to, you know, think about things maternally because I have been shaped and formed through that incredible experience of becoming a mom. But not every woman is going to lead maternally. Um, and some men definitely have those traits. Um, and so I think it's just really important to really pay attention and own who you are in Christ 
first, of course, we, we allow Christ to inform who we are, um, but then not be afraid of, of, you know, of, of how we've been formed and created. Um, I don't run away from sermon illustrations that are about motherhood or parenting. Um, I'm not ashamed of that. That's just how I preach. And I think that we should preach and lead and teach um, exactly as Christ has formed us and, and as we've been formed throughout our life. One of the values in the book that you're trying to communicate and get across to your readers is how men and women can learn to work together and uh, to do so effectively and helpfully. Uh, you give uh, you draw on the on the research and work of uh, Haley Grace Scott, who paints two opposite approaches to how men and women can work together. One uh, is called the the uh, bubble wrap approach, where this is men and women do not work together, right? They they just always are staying apart, and and there's or, or there's mediation, right? There's there's extra parties uh, involved and intentionally so. The other approach she calls uh, the daredevil approach where there are relatively no boundaries for cross-gender relationships. Uh, you end up giving four, uh, four tips or four uh, points to how you suggest that, that men or people in positions of power can help to mentor and invest in, in women or in, in people who are not in positions of power and, and uh, help them be raised, be raised up. I want to read those and then just invite you to, to elaborate on them or, or comment. And because I think they're really helpful. Uh, the first one you say is know your own boundaries before going into a relationship. Right? Understand where where your own comfort levels are. Um, number two, if you feel the need to hide a relationship from anyone, especially your spouse, then consider that a red flag. Uh, number three, tend to your relationship with Jesus first and foremost, as well as your relationship with your spouse. Uh, and number four. Allow the spouses of mentor and mentee to talk with one another and to about the relationship. Right, you're 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 trying to get more things on the table, have more conversation. Uh, why do you yeah. think it's so important for for and specifically in this case, male mentors to invest in female mentorees? And um, what what ongoing advice would you have for readers, or have you continued to pick up through writing the book, or even after after its its publication? Yeah, this is so good. And this is such an important discussion because our emphasis on boundaries, which, you know, we sometimes talk about the, this being the Billy Graham rule, which is an infamous, infamous rule that, or a famous rule that Billy Graham had that said, you know, he would not meet alone with a woman ever or be seen alone with a woman. And this is a practice that many male pastors have had. They won't meet alone with a woman. Um, you know, I just had a friend that was picked up um, for a speaking engagement at a church and uh, the pastor refused, you know, to pick her up alone. He, you know, found someone else to go with him so he wouldn't be alone with the female pastor. Um, and women experience this all the time. And if, you, and if we just back out of this and think about this, like what this is doing, number one, it communicates that women are the danger, that women are the Jezebel, if you will. But number two, it's one of the many systems uh, that we have within our churches um, that are keeping women sidelined. It's, it's, you know, women being sidelined um, in churches, it's, it's systemic. Um, it's not just our theology, but it's our practices. Uh, and of course, our theology informs our practices. But, um, and so because what it does, think about this. If right now in our denomination, I just saw a new stat that, which is encouraging, we're getting better, but 80% um, of senior pastors are men and 10% are women. 
And so if 80% of those pastors say, I can never mentor a woman, then those churches are going to continue to be saturated with male leadership because it's pretty difficult for women to find a female mentor because there's very few of us. For example, I'm asked almost weekly, not more than weekly, to to mentor a young woman in ministry. Um, If you do the math, easily 50 to 60 um, requests a year. Uh, That's impossible. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure you take all those requests. (laughs) Right, totally, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, It's impossible. And so um, we we need men, uh, male pastors and male leaders and male influencers to to seek out gifted women, emerging pastors and leaders, and, and boldly mentor them. Now, I'm not saying that we should just be like without boundaries and, and go on va- vacation together and fine dining. Definitely not condoning that. I think that it's it's a process of discernment for each person. Um, and so that's that's where I was getting with um, you know that section on the book of of male and female relationships. It's really important that we go into mentoring relationships and cross gender relationships with with boundaries in mind. Talk about them with your spouse. I mean, it's really important to communicate this with your spouse because I've talked to some male pastors that will say, well, I'm fine with it, but it's my wife that has a problem with it. And so then, you know, the spouses get to go on a journey of discovering why this matters and why this is so important for the future of the church. Um, and so, so talk about what those boundaries are, be open, communication is key. Um, you know, of course, there are moral failures in churches, but I don't think that should cause us to have a bubble wrap approach, as Haley Gray Scott puts it. If I can bring it back to the phrase you used uh, about puny imaginations, I find that this is one of the areas yeah. that you can get stuck in puny imaginations. And, and really, it doesn't yeah. become about boundaries anymore. It becomes about about not thinking creatively um, in, in my own, in my own ministry, finding ways to, to invest and mentor people in team, in team approaches, where it's not just one-on-ones yep. or, or through putting resources in people's hands uh, through, through quoting people uh, in my own uh, writing or sermons and, and attributing to them, yep. um, you know, to, to, amplify their voice, right? To, to give them, there's so many ways that we can yeah. in, in mentoring that help to empower people who have, who don't have voices that are, are elevated or that are, are not empowered, even though they've been anointed and gifted for, for leadership and influence. It's one of those ways that it, I find it's so important that we don't have to ask people to break their values. We have to ask them to stretch their imaginations. And if they do that, there's so many yeah. ways that we can have uh, really discipleship processes for leaders. All right. And, and I think it's, it's so important for us just to keep saying like, you know, you don't have to break your values. You just have to stretch your imagination and, and be creative with it. Yeah. Be creative. Exactly. Creativity is so key. Uh, we just, we give up too easily and we just, we're, we're not comfortable with the messiness of things. We're not comfortable with the gray um, but we've got to be willing to step in and live into the messiness um, because on the other end is reconciliation and wholeness. Yeah. Uh, the book is uh, Emboldened, A Vision for Empowering Women in Ministry. Our guest today has been uh, Reverend Tara Beth Leach. Tara Beth is the senior pastor of uh, First Church of the Nazarene in Pasadena, California. Uh, the book is published by uh, IVP. It's a great, great book, very readable. Uh uh, funny and uh, inspiring and a great conversation starter, I think, around the idea of how do we uh, uh, help to put people into power and and 
uh, encourage them and, and raise up leaders who who might not see themselves as leaders, though they've been called into leadership. Uh, Tara Beth, final word to you. Um, what what would you leave or, or what would you say is the final word you'd like readers to take away from this book that you've written? Take the next faithful step um, in the hard and the messiness. Uh, take the next faithful step of leaning into God's creative imagination for the bride of Christ that involves men and women side by side, partnering and participating in the mission of God. Thank you so much, Tara Beth, for being with us today. Thank you. It was a joy to be here. And if we have some uh, people who are, are asking questions of, of their own call and, and are maybe struggling with, with that phrase, puny imaginations, is this call really for them? I'd encourage them, especially if they're women, but not only for women, to, to pick up this book, Emboldened, and give it a read. Maybe that's the next step they could take to, to explore this call. Um, it's a yeah. really good it's a great text. I really appreciated uh, reading it and encourage our listeners to pick it up as well. Amen. Amen. And thank you. Thank you listeners for joining in. And uh, we hope that you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll take opportunity to check out some of the other podcasts of the Wesley Seminary podcast here at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thanks so much for joining in and have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.